the Hamlet podcast. Hello and welcome to a rather different approach to this bonus episode with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. The purpose of these extra episodes, imagined at least to be made as we've reached the end of each scene of the play, was to introduce or celebrate figures who had made a significant contribution to the play, its history and its culture. As I mentioned earlier this week, we've had a good few actors and directors, but one community that I haven't mentioned at all yet are those who write about the play. I've called this episode Words, 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 since there have been countless millions of words written, litres of ink printed, and hours spent thinking and responding to Hamlet. So tonight we'll take a whistle-stop tour of Hamlet on paper. I don't really want to get too involved in the textual history. You'll remember that we have quite a few source texts, folios and quartos, and they all differ enough to merit separate publications themselves. Between the first folio and the second quarto, there hovers something like a cloud of authenticity. Somewhere in there the play exists, ready in its huge entirety for interpreters to come in and make what they will from it. For the purposes of this whole project, I have relied primarily on the Arden Shakespeare, and I have the first, the second, and all of the third editions. I've used their texts in rehearsal for every Shakespeare play I've done, and I always find that the Arden notes are the most helpful. There have been, as I just mentioned, three editions of the Arden Shakespeare. The third celebrated its completion in early 2020, right before Covid took over the world. But... At an event celebrating it, they happily announced that the fourth edition would start right away, so keep an eye out for that whenever they start to appear. Within the third edition, the general editors made the brilliant decision to publish two editions of Hamlet, so that the texts of 1603 and 1623 could be published side by side and examined in great detail. The previous version was a bit of a mix and match, blending the folio and quarto texts into a more general version, hovering like that cloud between all three. The most recent editors, Anne Thompson and Neil Taylor, have been my guiding stars throughout the journey of this podcast, and my text of the play is all but falling apart after all the time I've spent pawing through it. Every printed version of the play will have had an editor. If you ever find yourself rehearsing or directing it, or acting in it, I cannot advise you strongly enough to go and get as many texts as you can get your hands on. You would be amazed at the differences you'll find. Stage directions added, words changed, punctuation removed, you name it. Never done with any malice, I assume, but you'll find something useful and surprising in every volume you can lay your hands on. Of course, besides laying out the text for print and writing notes to accompany it, a great many thinkers, pickers and stealers have written about the play. Shakespeare's contemporary, Ben Jonson, wrote a good deal about him, and every age since then has had much to say on the subject. By the time Goethe was writing, in the late 18th century, he proclaimed that so much has been written on the subject, it felt like there was nothing left to say. And yet, centuries later, we're still at it. It feels like this week I'm setting myself more and more ridiculous tasks. Certainly, I have no plans tonight to tell you about every book I've picked up or enjoyed while I've been putting together this little podcast. Rather, there are a few landmark studies that are very much worth your time. 
The first book that I ever read about Hamlet was one of the most influential. It was Dover Wilson's study, first published in 1935. Very plainly, it is called What Happens in Hamlet. And it does exactly what it sets out to do, attempting to explain, or at very least offer suggestions, for everything that happens in the play. It's been enormously influential. One story goes that it was only thanks to this book that Act 3, Scene 4 became the bedroom scene. Until Dover Wilson called it that, it was always imagined as taking place in Gertrude's closet, her private quarters in the Palace of Elsinore. But thanks to Dover Wilson, who rechristened it the bedroom scene, we've had almost a century of Hamlets and Gertrudes sitting on the bed, fighting on the bed, and so on. There's absolutely no mention of it in the play, and Shakespeare gives us plenty of other details, including a portrait, a chair, and that all-important arras, so perhaps if he wanted a bed to be in the room he would have told us. If you need a starting point, Dover Wilson is the best I can recommend. Alternatively, an even more practical and slightly more recent suggestion might be Hamlet, A User's Guide by Michael Pennington, who was also the subject of a previous bonus episode. A book that I particularly love, and one that had much influence over the episodes dealing with Act One, was James Shapiro's 1599. It's a beautiful evocation of that year in Shakespeare's life, one that, according to Shapiro, saw him write, as you like it, Hamlet, Julius Caesar and Henry V. The way that he weaves the plays and the few biographical details we know, and threads these through with material sources, anecdotes and historical information, is really engaging. Best of all, if you find yourself hungry for more when you finish it, the good professor wrote a whole other book called 1606, The Year of Lear. He's written a great many other books too, all equally engaging and very, very erudite. Along with Professor Shapiro, there's the work of Stephen Greenblatt, who has likewise written extensively on Shakespeare and on Hamlet. His book, Hamlet in Purgatory, is a really fascinating exploration of what Shakespeare might be doing by featuring the character of the ghost, and by making it so explicitly clear that this spirit has come back from purgatory, of all places. This contrasted with Hamlet coming back from Wittenberg, a site of Protestant culture in Europe at the time, makes for a very fascinating conversation. It's another major landmark, and the book is unmissable stuff. My Little Hamlet bookshelf has a whole host of titles. The Hamlet Doctrine, Hamlet Poem Unlimited, Hamlet and Purgatory, Five and Eighty Hamlets, Performing Hamlet, Hamlet Through the Ages, I Am Hamlet, Teaching Hamlet While My Father Died, and these just to name a few. The most provocative, and perhaps exciting, of the lot is by Rodri Lewis, and it's called Hamlet and the Vision of Darkness. Reviewing it in the New York Review of Books, the aforementioned James Shapiro pointed out that this feels like something of a generational shift. I see this as more of a positive thing than the review might suggest. This book is exuberant, extremely inventive, and made me think of the play in ways I never would have imagined. The second chapter alone will blow your mind, in which Professor Lewis brilliantly describes all of the haunting language and imagery in the play. I'd never read anything like it. It's really quite astonishing. For the record, the first half of Shapiro's NYRB review gives a really quick, really clear history of what people have written about Hamlet through the centuries. Goethe, Hazlitt, Coleridge, Byron, Freud and many more feature. He's not entirely sold on everything Professor Lewis has to say, but he very fairly acknowledges that it is something new and of considerable merit.
tonight is Twelfth Night. The night Shakespeare would have associated with partying, upturned social conventions and an appearance by the Lord of Misrule. What better night to consider reading something that might blow away the cobwebs and make you think about things in a totally new way, having turned everything upside down. So try it, and maybe have a glass of mulled wine or some ale to wash it down. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow with the penultimate offering in this sequence of extra episodes. I had limited myself to a particular number, but somehow I divided my list into three and I still wound up with four. So, after all that, there are two more to come. I hope you'll join me tomorrow, and I'll speak to you then.